and welcome to yet another episode of an unqualified guide to the good life right. the show where we try to work out what it means to live well despite having no qualifications to do so this time with even fewer qualifications than ever <laughs> my name is adam with me as always and indeed more so than as always is nick and and also we're joined by by two very special guests we have Damon and and Peter from from the Reeds podcast. Hi guys, how how are you how are you doing today? Uh, doing very well. Happy to be here and unqualified uh, with you. It's first time. Yeah, yeah. Happy to be here as well. I would consider myself qualified, but uh, that's another. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is also a very particular situation. If it seemed to you like Adam was shouting um, in the introduction, <laughs> it's because he was, um, because we find ourselves in the particular situation where, firstly, for the first time since we started this podcast, Adam and I are actually recording from the same room because Adam is currently here with me in Geneva, and we are also joined by uh, Damon who is a fellow podcast aficionado um, at yeah. the Reads podcast um, and where Adam and I had the pleasure of participating in one of their episodes a few weeks ago. Yes, on the meditations by on Marcus Aurelius. meditations by Marcus Aurelius, friend of pa the show, patron, patron saint, saint of our show. <laughs> so um, in return, we've invited the Reads. Um, I, I believe we don't have all of the members of the Reads no. here today, but we, we have a couple and a particular arrangement where Damon, Adam and I are all in the same room but uh, Peter joins us via Zoom from Boston um, some sometime in the morning still. Well, he could be <laughs> listening to this whenever. Maybe the morning no, when they're the listening to him. him. <laughs> <laughs> the afternoon for us, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, thanks guys for coming on. And uh, what, what we, given that the, how, well, Dame Peter, how would you describe the Reads podcast and indeed the website and the mission of the Reads? Yeah, so I think our podcast, it has like a vague similarity to your podcast. There's a lot of uh, overlap, I would say, in that we also discuss themes around philosophy, uh, the good life. We're, we have two main series in our podcast. One is called Close Read, where we do discussion centered around the text. Um, and then we also have a series, Bookshelves and bar school, Barstools, which is a more freewheeling conversation uh, on whatever topics we're interested in at the moment. And uh, yeah, we bring guests on who want to join the conversation. And yeah, that's essentially it. Anything else, Peter? I guess we have a website, but uh, <laughs> with, with some uh, blog posts, mainly by Damon. <laughs> hey, that's not true. That's not true. So, there are, it's a dynamic place, thriving community. So, <laughs> so multimedia empire is uh, what, we're, what we're looking for as a conclusion and one that shares a lot of its um, objectives with our own podcast of the Unqualified Guide to the Good Life, uh, primarily that um, with the use of philosophy a large part of the time, we try and uh, you know, debate certain topics and ways of living that might result in what's kind of colloquially, colloquially known as the good life. And, um, and so for the sake of this crossover episode, we thought, well, um, it would be a good idea to debate the extent to which philosophy, in fact, does contribute to the good life. You know, how, how far astray from valuable is the premise of both of our projects, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Is the unexamined what life yeah. worth living? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, in just, uh, in just an hour-ish, we'll have solved that problem. Yeah. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> 
Well, uh, gentlemen, I'm going to start us out with um, with a quote, as we so often do, um, and and I have uh, I have two that I think play off each other quite nicely. The first from um, Rene Descartes, who um, we have taken to task on this show before, uh, who says, "One cannot conceive anything so strange and so implausible that it has not already been said by one philosopher or another." And the other from William James, philosophy is a one, philosophy, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, philosophy is at once the most sublime and the most trivial of human pursuits. Mm -hmm. Nice. What do you all think about that? Nice. Well, I, I wonder if we can use that and turn it into a question, which um, actually I'm going to direct at our qualified guest. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, by asking, uh, by asking him, well, he could choose which to answer, but um, I, I would like to, to know what the role of philosophy at large is, and also perhaps related to that, certainly at, at any rate for me, what the role of the philosopher is um, in, his, in his or her or their uh, pursuit of their discipline. So uh, if you have any thoughts. I mean, I guess I start out with asking is the goal of the philosopher uh, seeking knowledge so is the goal like uh, really truth seeking or is it like uh, just as the greek word suggests a love of wisdom mm. maybe those two don't overlap and i think in the history of philosophy it might be the case that like uh not all philosophers have the same goal at the outset. And uh, there's a famous passage by uh, Friedrich Hegel. And uh, he says that philosophy needs to be not the love of wisdom, <laughs> but the seeking of actual knowledge. So I guess if we define philosophy in the latter part, it will be hard to uh, uh, yeah. well, help how, us. How would you... Do, um establish a distinction between wisdom and knowledge and if philosophy is just the pursuit of knowledge in what way is um, any of that exclusive to philosophy what knowledge then is the prerogative of philosophers because you could argue the same thing for almost all other disciplines i think you now in, in in the field of academia that's a, a good point i think then philosophy would be reduced uh, if I can use that word as a science, so then it will be indeed as other all the other sciences, and what it can do then is like uh, perhaps being the handmaiden of other sciences by like uh, tracing out an epistemology, so what we can know and what we cannot know, and in that sense be I guess like just a surface that helps the other sciences. Uh, with their goal and I think philosophy as a wisdom kind of is the more ambitious project to see philosophy as the overarching project that is like uh, mm -hmm. basically everything right. and not just reduced to a particular science right right well that's not, that's a nice thought yeah, I think that that's uh, that that, that you, you've touched upon there, Peter. Is that really when we say philosophy, we're talking about lots of different things, right? Like, there is the um, I, I suppose as you said, the wisdom, the 
the the practical guys the daily stoic or whatever um which tells you how to live how to live well and how to live better and then there's essentially logic right the basis of how do we know and epistemology how do we know no i mean the philosophy is the basis of maths p is n not p not n is is a philosophical uh way of thinking but it's also mathematics um so I suppose we first have to decide what, as always, I blame the International Baccalaureate for this kind of thinking, <laughs> but we as always have to first decide what, we, what we're talking about when, uh, yeah. when we're talking about philosophy. Well, I, would, I would ask um, then uh, Damon what his thoughts are on, on whether or not um, the philosopher's role or the, the prerogative of philosophy to look for knowledge is um, aligned or you know identical to that of living well or mm. whether those are entirely distinct things and whether in doing one the philosopher is doing the other as well or um you know doing something rather which is a little bit more abstracted and doesn't necessarily pertain to everyday life in other words how important is the pure quest for truth um <laughs> to to living well we could say you know yeah uh i think a, a lot of this question rests on how broad a definition, I guess, we take of philosophy at the initial outset. So, um, you know, like Aristotle says, uh, man is man desires to know, right? So there's some kind of, there may be something like a kind of impulse to knowledge or to truth that's in human beings, um, generally speaking. And if that's the case, right, like Adam was saying, philosophy is often the, well, it is the originator of all the sciences, um, a lot of fields in which we gather knowledge. And it, it really seems like the motivations of sciences are kind of philosophical in nature in that their aim is not just to, you know, uh, add formulas to our understanding of the world, but there's a higher purpose to that, namely finding something out about the nature of the universe, about the nature of reality. And I think we see that in, you know, like a lot of popular physics videos. I think physics has become extremely popular in the right. public consciousness and people are more and more interested in questions of cosmology and these big questions that uh, to me seem like physics is certainly related to them and helps get at them, but they aren't physics in nature. They're kind of philosophical in nature. Almost existential. Exactly. And so insofar as philosophy is kind of a mode of questioning or it determines uh, what motivates us to pursue certain questions, then I would say it is kind of essential to the good life because like we, we can't choose to pursue anything without engaging in some kind of uh, questioning activity of that kind. Now that said, that's an extremely broad definition. I, I understand for philosophy, mm. uh, but yeah. Well, Peter, I'd be interested in, in, in your view on that and sort of uh, philosophy as a, as a route into cosmology, because I believe you're, you're doing a, a master's in, in, in religious studies. Is, is that correct? Yeah, in the philosophy of religion, yeah. Philosophy of religion. So, so, so that, I mean, obviously, cosmology is the basis of a uh, of a lot of religions. Perhaps not as um, not as much as we often as we often think, sort of the Clifford Geertz way, where it's about belief, but certainly a large component of it. So, um, what do you what do you think in that regard of philosophy and cosmology and and meaning? I suppose. Yeah, like uh, it's a big question for me. For like, uh, in in my opinion uh religion often tries to have like a philosophical foundation though it sometimes uh, is not as obvious but um even like creation stories um 
a concept of having like a mediator in the sense of Christianity of like a godson on earth. Um, those seem to be like not only of theological significance, but also of really like philosophical uh, significance of indeed answering the questions. Uh, where do we come from? <laughs> where do we go? And why are we here in the first place? If, if philosophy is trying to ask all those questions, um, yeah, I sometimes have even a hard time seeing like distinguishing philosophy uh, from religion in a sense, because it seems that religion tries to do the same. Um, yeah, and then I would indeed say like man is a philosophical and religious being uh, per se. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Well, I, I kind of want to bring up something that, um, I don't know, maybe we've been implicitly confounding or um, implicitly making a distinction between questions of like the, these big cosmological questions of where do we come from? Um, and then there's also I, the, the question that we started it with is whether philosophy is good for a good life. And to me, it's not self-evident that these like big metaphysical cosmological questions and then also the ethical questions go together. Now, it the interesting thing about religion is that there they are deeply intertwined, right? There's something uh, about the, the metaphysical system that has direct implications for your actions. But I wonder if in philosophy, there's a kind of divide there. And it's not clear why, those, like, it's not clear why learning about science or physics uh, would make you a better person, right? The, those are like domains separate from each other. There was uh, so it, it's interesting you said that because I suppose originally what we what we consider the sciences were were natural philosophy, right? Like uh, a lot of early philosophers were astronomers or physicists or whatever, um, and and certainly something that I uh, remember from sort of anthropology of religion lectures was um, and and I'd be wondering if if you have any thoughts on this, Peter, is uh, a distinction between um, what what my lecturer called sort of uh, everyday religions and soteriological religions. And your soteriological religions are like the big ones, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and they are some some idea of transcendence is involved in them. Whereas your everyday is, I need it to rain so that my crops will grow. And so you, mm. you ask a higher power or some other power to intervene on that behalf. And I wonder if the, if a similar distinction can be made in, in philosophy between your, your, your everyday philosophy, which can include the natural sciences, but also um, perhaps how to how to live in the world. And then your your soteriological ones that deal with metaphysics and uh, Maxwell's demon and cogito ego sum and, and whatever. Yeah, I think certainly uh, it makes me immediately want to make the qualification that when we say, like, does philosophy help with the good life? I, I don't think any of us mean academic philosophy. <laughs> uh, and I say this as someone interested in academic philosophy. But, you know, there was an interesting study I read about done on professors of ethics. And they're basically talking about whether ethics professors engage in more behaviors that we consider moral, things like donating to charity, um, even calling their mother. <laughs> uh, and the study just finds there's no diff real difference between them, right? So it seems like there's a knowing how versus knowing that distinction mm. that applies here as well. It's in line with your distinction of, you know, you can have 
a vast conceptual scheme and you can study that conceptual scheme, you can also have the practical wisdom, say, or the practical knowledge completely independent of such a conceptual scheme and be very good at it. Uh, I think too of like, you know, Jimi Hendrix didn't know music theory, but probably the greatest guitarist of all time. Uh, yeah. Right. I have a thought actually <clears throat> to that, um, uh, on that note, which, which is then if there is this distinction um, between, you know, sort of this academic philosophy and this uh, everyday philosophy that is actually more accessible to, you know, the everyday person um, and, and, but that nonetheless, the concepts uh, involved in academic philosophy are potentially of benefit to the everyday person. Um, is it in the interest of the everyday person looking to better their life to have any kind of interaction with academic philosophy or not? Um, I wonder, uh, I wonder, what, what do you think, uh, Peter? So yeah, I'm I'm less I guess uh, negative about academic philosophy. Because, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I in in Where a sense think because it's, it's penetrable. <laughs> I think I think in a sense it is indeed like a very big pity that now uh, knowledge uh, has been reduced to just practical knowledge and the focus is really on the knowing that and uh, the big questions like Wait, the knowing how. Wait, you mean the knowing how, right? Just to... uh, oh, the, yeah, the practical one. Yeah, I, I guess uh, know how and know that is the normal distinction. Nah, uh, I, I just I just normally distinguish them by like the why and the how. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So so I I think there is something said about like uh, that we all know how gravity is interacting with the world and uh, uh, can kind of, I guess, adapt our lives to that, to that uh, fact. But there is a quite lack of asking the question what gravity really is, right? Like, uh, it's kind of frustrating that we nowadays sometimes seem conflating like the practical knowledge with like uh, truth as such that we don't really seem to really ask what is the true underlying power, so to speak, behind those um, uh, forces. And especially because science is so applied, I think what philosophy could really contribute to like the daily lives is like uh, kind of leave the realm of the applied world and really ask the question, how this uh, did this came out to be, and where does this come from? Maybe those questions are impossible to answer because I think that's how we got this distinction in the first place. That uh, there was some belief that these questions to ask what is gravity really is like a useless, meaningless question. But I still think it would be nice that we would try to interact with it, and it might give our lives more meaning because I think exactly that question the non-practical question might be the part where we derive meaning from i think there are lots of physicists though trying to work out well it, it's in a way it's a bit of a shame you used gravity as an example because i think that that's one of the big uh, the big questions of practical physics what it is because of the four fundamental forces the other three have been unified effectively into a single theory but gravity is the one that is left out and they're sort of scrambling to see 
how this fits into that model. Yeah, I, I wonder though if that is like uh, again what uh, Damon is asking uh, the desire to study graffiti in that way is kind of a philosophical desire rather than uh, one true to the nature of physics. But yeah, but I guess what what I would qualify is that I think in any discipline you're engaged in, you can be like philosophically minded within that discipline, right? So you can have a reflective specialist say who considers like the broader implications of their work and i agree with you that that is philosophical in nature and it benefits from i guess the tools of philosophy and so on uh so yeah i think your your large point maybe is like we need more reflective specialists um and if that's and i honestly i don't know how many there are so i probably shouldn't <laughs> uh be making this point but yeah and, yeah, so does that sound right to you that I mean there can be a marriage of both worlds? Yes. And I don't know, like I'm also uh, just transgressing my my fields uh, by diving into <laughs> physics, but <laughs> and I'm here really unqualified. I'm here really unqualified. So so my qualified status has uh, been lost in just 20 minutes. <laughs> Got him off but, it, kids. Uh... But but there might be some interest, I guess, indeed, between a marriage between <laughs> these fields, which seems to be lacking nowadays. I don't know. That's my observation. Yeah, I, I think the the only thing that 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 um I I think you you might be on something in that. I do think there's perhaps more of an appetite for that than we realize. Um, it's just that anything you're going to research at that level that requires high levels of, of intensive maybe technology and expertise has to make it past a grants committee, right? And in order to get past a grants committee, you have to show how it's gonna be useful in some way. Mm -hmm. And some of these questions that may end up having some great purpose, but it's hard to show the immediate practical value struggles to get past a grants committee. Well, that actually um, makes me consider one point, which as much as you know, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you, Peter, on the notion that maybe it is a shame that we don't uh, uh, adopt a more thorough approach to our you know, um, uh, epistemological investigations, I wonder whether we can also um, not sometimes accidentally you know, lay the blame at the at the feet of the everyday people who maybe have no direct interaction with philosophy and and who therefore um, are maybe a little um, frightened by the intensity, formality, and you know um, you know uh, intellectual rigor that surrounds the discipline. And and I wonder whether or not it could not be the responsibility of philosophers to an extent, whether it be in terms of uh, providing reflection on other academic disciplines or on how. The everyday person could uh, better integrate philosophy um, to have that responsibility. You know, I wonder whether um, in losing maybe this or in developing this divide, whether or or there is a certain degree to which philosophers themselves um, have almost uh, uh, intentionally cultivated that as well as people sort of slowly drifting away from it. You know, I would suggest that maybe there is. Um, uh yeah uh, shared shared responsibility for that and that both sides of this obviously very broad simplistic equation could do more to come closer to one another but yeah i mean i would 
I completely agree with that, but I think I even maybe more firmly disagree with Peter in the sense that <laughs> I really, I really don't think that for the, for the good, for the good life. I mean, I think many people can live the good life without studying philosophy in any formal way. Um, there, now there may be a necessity with doing philosophy, something like that. Uh, in the case that there's a certain uh, reflective attitude one has to go through, one has to consider the consequences of their actions. Right? Like, why do this instead of that? What's the purpose of my life? Right? I think those are questions that are very ubiquitous and fundamental. And I do think the study of philosophy can help with those questions, but I still do see it very much analogous to like music theory to a musician. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if you find that it, I'll just, that's my last word on it, but if what, what you think about that. I then just wonder like, uh, yeah, I guess we come back to the question, how do we really define philosophy? Because then it seems that any, um, method seems to be kind of not present in your theory about what philosophy is like i i guess there must be something of what does it mean to philosophize and i think that implies some formal activity mm. and uh, otherwise it just sounds like living your life <laughs> <laughs> well maybe maybe it's not possible to live without doing some philosophy i mean there's that um from uh, oh, the Kurt Vonnegut book, uh, Cat's Cradle, where there's the, the poem of Bokkanon that goes, uh, tiger got a hunt, bird got a fly, man got to ask why, 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 <laughs> is the um, human description. Uh, but I think to, to that point, on, and the idea of, of doing philosophy uh, uh, and, and perhaps living um, your life asking these questions, um, a thought that I, that I had that I wanted to introduce on the, on the notice of, of um, being engaged in academic philosophy and the good life is that philosophers are not famous for being happy people, right? <laughs> a lot of philosophers are miserable. I just read a book called Hiking with Nietzsche mm. about a philosopher who, who, uh, re who visits Sils Maria in Engadine where Nietzsche spent a large part of his life, walks around the hills and uses that to explain the philosophy of Nietzsche. And he says he was teaching a course on this at some university in America and uh, one of the students came up to him sort of halfway through the, the course and said, you know, I was happy until I started reading Nietzsche. <laughs> like it's, um, so I, uh, so, and, and on the note of that, yeah. and on the note of philosophy and uh, uh, philosophers being sad um, and appealing to use as well, I think we can say it's philosophy, we call it philosophy. I have a new segment. And I've never introduced a new segment on the show before, wow. <laughs> but now I think is a great time. I'm going to read you some philosophy memes. Oh, we're honored. And um, I want to get your view on the philosophy memes. This is from an Instagram account called Philosophy Fix. And uh, there is a little stick man. You can see the stick man. Viewer at home, trust me, it's just a stick man with some words. And um, it says, this is Ralph. Ralph is a concept created by you while reading this. When you stop, Ralph ceases to exist. Your attention is the thin barrier between Ralph and the void. I'm scared, says Ralph. Um, another one, and it's the classic panic meme. You know, the, the panic where they just right. the hands of the head. Life has no meaning. Panic. Hmm. You can create your own meaning. Calm. Hmm. That meaning is meaningless. Panic. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> I wanted to get your thoughts on these memes because although they are memes, I think they illustrate 
some quite specific philosophical ideas and a problem of philosophy, yeah. which is that you can always think yourself out of whatever situation you are in by reason. You may be able to think yourself back in, but I find that I personally am a lot better at thinking myself out of, uh, of this is okay than I am of thinking myself into it. I don't know if that's something you guys share. Maybe it's me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think maybe this this kind of sort of introduces the premise that um, is sort of the the flip side to what we're debating, right? Which um, which is is a certain amount of reflection good for you? Is is too much reflection bad for you? Is there such a thing as um, spending too long in these thoughts? Unless, of course, um, you do that for a living. You know, so um, maybe the other side of this question then is to the everyday person, is um, a little philosophy sometimes too much philosophy? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. What, what, are, what are your thoughts, Damon? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> Specifically to this question. <laughs> yes, actually. Uh, but yeah, I think so. So what comes to mind now when looking at this question, like uh, to prepare for this podcast, I came across uh, one of the books of Thomas Nagel, who's a contemporary philosopher. And he writes this book called The View from Nowhere. And he takes the view that humans essentially are creatures that are capable of viewing things from nowhere in particular. Okay. Um, meaning like no perspective in particular, say. Uh, they can do like metacognition on what's happening to them, what someone else might be thinking. And that has lots of advantages because you can compare and contrast uh, different ways of being, say, but you can also reduce those ways of being to meaninglessness. Right? If you're nowhere in particular, maybe what you find is nothingness. <laughs> uh, and so I think that that threat is very real. Um, but I also think it's not just in the academic study of philosophy. I think it could be a consequence of just our nature um, and our capacity to take that kind of perspective. So I wonder if, and I, I do think maybe like putting yourself into uh, abstract philosophy, theoretical philosophy can kind of precipitate those things because you're more, you're like forcing yourself to kind of doubt everything. Um, famously like Descartes and the Cartesian, uh, and the quotes you mentioned above is that every philosopher believed something. Right. I mean, that's that's a to me that's kind of an anxiety-inducing statement <laughs> because like, and <laughs> how how on earth uh, is anyone going to figure out what to do? Yeah. Um. But yeah. But yeah. Well, that's enough for now. <laughs> <laughs> well, on this, on the view from nowhere, I suppose that that is. But in order for that to sort of make sense and to fit together in order to speak, to take, to put us somewhere in the nowhere, as mm -hmm. it were, we have to understand our own context. And that's sort of what you were saying a moment ago, Nick, about the value of self-reflection. Mm. I mean, like, do you guys keep a diary? Does anyone here keep a diary? Largely, yeah. I do, I don't know. You're, you're also, it's every once in a while when you remember sort of yeah, thing, like. <laughs> no strict schedule, but yeah. But yeah. So yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it rises to the rank of a diary. <laughs> yeah. Do you, oh, yeah. do you guys find it useful? Like, I know a lot of people swear by it. They do it every day religiously. I mean, I would consider writing songs the equivalent of, so and mm. I would consider that a necessity for myself. So, um, yes, but also no. Do you write songs every day? Pretty much, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. How many songs have you written? <laughs> a few hundred, probably. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you know music theory? I do know music theory, ah, although largely what I'm not doing is composition. I'm writing song lyrics to pre-existing music, or I'm just writing lyrics. Nice. Um, but yes, I do know a little bit of music theory. Not enough to answer the co- the question with as much confidence <laughs> as I just did. But, um, but yes, I, I have some basis in classical learning. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose then... End of parenthesis. <laughs> <laughs> back to philosophy <laughs> um i mean I, i'm glad you qualified that um by like saying you're unqualified because i was going to ask you to speak to damon's point about do you need music theory to be a musician yeah, i was going to ask that. <laughs> right um no 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 i would say no definitely interesting not. but no. it can help but it helps dramatically yeah that's dramatically my... it's like um you probably don't need um uh, well, it's probably a bad analogy because it falls apart in that you're actually looking for a strict final result, but like building Ikea furniture without the guide is possible. <laughs> it's just you're not necessarily going to do it as efficiently if you have to guess where every piece fits. Yeah. But if you spend enough time with furniture and pieces without guides, probably you will develop quite an interesting, yeah. intuitive method of your own to go about those things as a as a reflex mechanism your brain will just develop uh, a certain skill for navigating that without the necessary manual so uh, initially you're probably definitely at a disadvantage over the long run it might cultivate a certain independent streak in your thought that might um help you a lot right and and then to go back to music as an analogy and then maybe further on with philosophy it's it it arguably makes you a lot more free because the act of learning music theory um, at the beginning of your practice as a musician is the act of learning structure and form and of being guided along the way. The act of playing music without knowing any theory is simply the act of engaging in the activity totally free of any constraint and figuring your way through it um, through resilience and your own intuition. So maybe there is something to be said for going about it that way. I think then at a certain point, there are um, there is something to be said for the fact that you you get stuck probably in places or you hit a ceiling that learning the formality will help you because essentially what the music theory is, is the accumulation of thousands and hundreds of thousands yeah, exactly. and millions of people yeah. before you who have done these things. So yeah. to not communicate with anyone who has then been on that same road and to venture all of it by yourself might be a little naive yeah. if yeah. you could easily avoid certain mistakes and pitfalls that others have spent years of you know uh, personal experience learning the hard way but then delivering for you in a very easily um acquirable format you know it reminds me of um actually something that came from um Audemars Piguet which is a luxury watchmaker here in Geneva um and they did an ad campaign and they had a big billboard and it just said in order to break the rules you must first master them mm. yeah, yeah which I yeah. think is a uh, actually pretty solid piece of advice from a luxury watchmaker but um (laughs) right on (laughs) yeah well i suppose we don't we don't have to abstract it to to other practices um peter you you do philosophy all day uh, philosophy of religion in 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 academically do you see it (laughs) spilling into the rest of your life I mean, yeah, for for me, it is the case, but I don't know if I'm happy about it, but it's more like, uh, I, I, and I really want, <laughs> I, I really want to trace out if like, uh, uh, 
there is some justification of having like a certain uh, meaningful life. <laughs> and, and then often you hit these very painful moments that's like uh, everything seems to collapse. So actually, why I pursue philosophy is in a way to negate what we can know. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm very interested in the parts what we can not really know, but still how what we can know depends on it. So in, in, in a sense, I'm very, feel always very happy on the moment that I come to a part, oh, we cannot really uh, question any further. But we still need what we cannot really question anymore. And then uh, that gives me some, I guess, some uh, stronghold to, to not totally fall into despair when I have traced out the epistemology of a certain philosopher. And uh, like, uh, I, I don't know what this podcast is doing, but like you have this famous analogy of Kant <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, with, with the island. And then <laughs> the island is what we actually can know. And it's surrounded by kind of a sea of mm. the noumena. It's like a kind of a metaphysical sea. And he says, yeah, we cannot really meaningful approach that but at the same time for me that sea is uh, quite nice because <laughs> there's still something infinite out there and then I, I guess without any justification I give a lot of meaning to that sea mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah so in a, in a sense for me philosophy is very important because I don't want to be an ostrich so to speak right okay. and, and, and and be like uh, thinking that the ways what gives my life purpose is just totally insane. Uh, I could not do the Don Quixote movement and suddenly think I'm a knight errant. I, I really try to have some justification. So I guess for me, yeah, <laughs> philosophy is really uh, done out of a sort of egoistic yearning mm. to, to help me out. It sounds, Peter, almost like you're an anti-philosopher. You're, you're, you do not want knowledge. You want a complete lack of knowledge. You want uncertainty, <laughs> which is, uh, which is quite cool. I'm not sure I've met an anti-philosopher before, which I, which I'm a fan of. <laughs> well, well, we just don't know if the philosopher wants knowledge or wisdom. Well, that's. I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe is there a distinction? We can't be sure. Peter's totally dismembered this distinction in his studies. <laughs> um yeah egoistical but, yearning that's a good term um i wonder I, I wonder if you can expand on that maybe well can i try you can yeah <laughs> go for it Anyone can. i don't know if you disagree with pizza <laughs> well maybe a little but i immediately thought defense mechanism when you said that what do you <laughs> like i don't like uh yeah like it for you philosophy is kind of a bulwark against despair it's what uh helps you I, I don't know if you find it it justifies your actions or it uh, it gives you a sense of purpose to what you should be doing and without it you would kind of I don't, revel in pleasure say <laughs> like well is that how you're thinking about it yes in a way right like I, I think we have this idea that nature might be this uh, cold bath uh, and we uh, <laughs> you know like just facts and they don't really have any value within them. Um, 
if that's the case, I really, I really think it is in a sense a defense mechanism. I always <laughs> become like this radical guy uh, in like uh, Marquise the Sat or um, Donkey uh, or uh, these characters in the Dostoevsky novels. That I will be probably uh, one of those ones that just totally are gonna do crazy stuff. Might be a murder. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perhaps, perhaps there's something psychopathic about my uh, desire to do philosophy because I see a certain, I think, scariness in my own own nature, and I kind of want to save myself from it, like. Mm. To, to kind of justify to be like an ethical person it's it's quite a hard task for me sometimes yeah <laughs> well i suppose it's better than not addressing it like this is um... yeah yeah i oh, mean interesting yeah that's that, cool that's what i was thinking is that i mean if uh i don't think maybe maybe this is just a peter thing <laughs> but uh <laughs> it could be that you know a person who doesn't reflect too much on their actions is more easily swept away by you know, the tide of the moment. So like, right, if you're an ostrich with your head in the sand, you can't see what's coming. You can't, you might be a very happy ostrich with your head in the sand, um, but you would also be susceptible to outside factors that could completely shake your worldview, right? Um, so in a sense, it's kind of like a premature, uh, you're like preventing future psychological upheavals, preventing future psychological torments that might occur or might not, but that might occur. <laughs> So it's the point. Go, go ahead, Peter. Yeah, I, I guess especially with these enormous advances in uh, science and technology that sometimes we have these huge discoveries about that uh, uh, human life is just can be can be replicated by ourselves in the lab. And, and, and you uh, have like these nice uh, proofs of uh, Big Bang theories that like I think without philosophical defense, those type of discoveries could really kind of devastate you. Like, let, let's say they uh, go 200 years back for like an everyday Christian and Darwin comes along with his evolution theory. Um, I think a philosopher could very easily kind of still make sense of it. Where another person who hears, yeah, we are from monkeys. Kind of... the. the it might quite be causing a lot of despair, I would say, or that makes you even aggressive, like just total denial or trying to suppress the people uh, proposing that theory. Whereas a philosopher, I think, can see very quickly a sort of nuance and that it doesn't really necessarily mean a collapse of the entire world. Uh, so that that is very powerful to me, what it gives, I guess. Interesting. So is the point that we've gotten to then that it's not so much that philosophy can help you to lead the good life, but it does perhaps insulate you against the sort of slings and arrows of existence mm. in general. It's, it, might, it might bring you down at first, but at least it's a cushioned <laughs> down as opposed to teetering on a sharp edge. Mm. <laughs> is that where we've gotten to? <laughs> nice analogy. Yeah. I mean, I think um, to kind of, yeah, to, to kind of track um, this wandering conversation a little bit, we, we um, you know, I think 
we we in a sense this has been a very philosophical conversation right so we already had a bias to begin with uh, um starting out um trying to argue this premise but um i think depending on how we chose to define philosophy and acknowledging that philosophy could at once be this um academic discipline with specific objectives or this more everyday act of simply kind of reflecting um and and developing a kind of an, an analytical school uh, school uh, or thought process for um going through your life that um you know philosophy can be largely different but that if it's that broad then essentially it's the act of thinking through things yeah um, and that in a sense that that yes seems fairly intuitively um uh, uh, a useful mechanism for living well and and you know spending some time with the notion of of uh philosophy as more of an academic discipline um whether it be as a prop to other um academic disciplines or um as this quest for knowledge in a pure sense i think at that point this is maybe where we arrive at the notion that actually having a notion of formal philosophy um and what it can do for other disciplines as well as in and of itself um can ultimately insulate you from the threats of um you know the slings and arrows of kind of um existential philosophy as they might appear in your own life as they are likely to do at certain times which can be quite kind of uh draining and scary and uh overwhelming when you do not have this kind of uh sense of awareness where you haven't been sort of broken down in the bouncy castle yet <laughs> and you're now being made to front flip on the concrete <laughs> you know nice great analogy that's fantastic so um... i would i would just uh qualify one thing that uh that's not what we do on this podcast <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> i would unqualifyingly qualify <laughs> just the uh, just on the idea that philosophy is a thinking through i would still say it's like uh a particularly radical kind of thinking through which is the kind of view from nowhere nagel uh point i was making earlier namely that right you're really questioning foundational things mm -hmm. um so that's that's i think what would maybe distinguish the philosophical kind of thinking through than another kind of thinking through it's like and also what can make it not just a defense mechanism but also the danger um is that it's a right it's a complete it, it abolishes like cherished beliefs and, and dogmas and stuff like things that make people very comfortable and uh so yeah i guess that just be the flip side yeah of that so by by challenging like on a foundational do you mean because kind of what i was thinking about about this thing from philosophy and i wonder if this is the same thought or not is that philosophy is thinking about how we think about things is that what you're getting at or do you mean yeah. more fundamental than that like okay can't all of these premises everything i think is based on the assumption that i am on earth is that a reasonable assumption to actually <laughs> right. make or or you know i don't it's where we have to draw the line i i also wonder actually maybe moving on the other side of that does thinking matter at all if you go down a if you go down a sort of phenomenological route hegel and then later heidegger and merleau ponty they say ah don't worry about how things are so much worry about how we experience them mm. But maybe we are not capable of living enough in the moment for that to be uh, a, a reasonable concern for ourselves. Well, I, I once uh, read this, um, I think this interesting piece. Um, uh, the only interesting thing of which I can remember is what I'm about to say now. Um, <laughs> so don't ask and... any follow-up questions. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, simply that the 
the purpose of thinking is to stop thinking, um, mm. which is to say that in, in life, like, and, and, you know, and it's something that's very current now as well, right? And especially when we have access to, you know, work emails and social media and all of these things, a whole lot of the time we have this kind of like mind chatter that's very difficult to turn off, but, um, and that that can kind of induce anxiety and stress and all of these other things, but that um, thinking should not necessarily be a state of like continuous action in your mind, but rather should just be a tool that you use to decide which direction you're going into. And then when you do that, you just go in that direction, you know, and then and then you arrive at another point where you're like, okay, cool, I need to figure out how this works. And then you go, um, you know, uh, uh, like yeah. almost, you know, almost like the act of hunting, you know, you find your solution, then it's there. You don't need to continuously be thinking about it. Um, innocence, which I think is not necessarily something that would apply to, you know, um, you know, like formal philosophy, but mm. in in the in the life of an everyday person, perhaps you you would want that practical application to help guide you. Um, but maybe reflection for the sake of reflection also has its own value, as we've been suggesting. Um, and yeah, I wonder if anyone has any other thoughts. Um, well, I think we should gently start start um, wrapping up our conversation. Yeah, up. yeah. Well, I let me put this as a, as a thing at the end, so that maybe we can all concentrate. We've all we've all said, um, you know, about what what philosophy is. Don't think we came up with a definitive answer, but we've we've had some thoughts on it. Um, but something we said sort of towards the beginning was the actually um, there is a real bias now towards. Uh, the practicality of things, the how rather than the why, and the why has value. But given that we live in the world which does value the how, are there any things of practical philosophy that you have found in your life particularly useful that that you might like to share with people that you think people could get get um, yeah help help them in their day to day lives? Maybe an aphorism. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you want to start? Adam? Uh, I can start. I have some written down. Oh no, I've lost the. Th okay. Uh, well. I think, I mean, so the, the big one for, well, the big two, I suppose, for me, uh, one is, is, a, is a stoic idea, but the, um, the, the, the actual quote comes from Shakespeare, which is, nothing is either good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. Um, which which shows that you... Which we talked about on our previous podcast. We did, again. we did, we did, because <laughs> uh, it was relevant to, to uh, Mark and his diary, as, yeah. um, as I referred to the meditations there. <laughs> Uh, and the other is, I believe... Mark being the Emperor Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> yeah, 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 the, the last good Emperor, Emperor of Rome, saw sort over of a period of great frustration. Friend of Adams. I mean, well, hang on. Wait, no, 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 if you no, read no, a just, book... Just, the... just, just, just make your point. <laughs> anyway, the other one I think is, is uh, usually attributed to Aristotle, um, but was actually his biographer. He said, excellence is, uh, is, is, not an, is not an act, but a habit. Or not a quality, but a habit, and we can we become excellent by doing things repeatedly, not just something we have intrinsically. I think those are two uh, very key philosophical ideas that are really useful in the day to day. Um, and maybe I took maybe that's it. Maybe those are the only two <laughs> good, good ideas from well, practical philosophy. Damon, any any thoughts of your own? I mean, the one that quickly comes to my mind is a, a French proverb that. Uh, Il n'y a que la vérité qui blesse, which is only the truth hurts. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, just to provide the other per perspective that uh, maybe there is some kind of painful process or painful is a strong way of putting it, but you know, uh, anxiety inducing process that is necessary to then get on to 
write uh, a better stage of living better and sort of things like this. Um, so yeah, that, <laughs> but that's just off the top of my head. So Adam has said morality is subjective <laughs> and you've said just lie. <laughs> <laughs> Those are our two pieces of advice so far. <laughs> no such thing or good or bad, and the truth sucks. <laughs> no, no, no. The truth. Enter Machiavelli. <laughs> the truth is the truth is good, but it hurts. The truth is good, but it hurts. That's fine. And, and mine was more about things that happen to you rather than things you do. I'm not saying rob a bank and then think, oh, this is. You know, fine. Shakespeare once said. <laughs> No, fair, oh, fair enough. Um, um, <laughs> no, I like the first quote that you, or not the first, the second quote that you started with, that philosophy is at once the most sublime and the most trivial. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good I think end. we've shown we've that come, We've come back around to yeah. that. <laughs> Definitely. Um, uh, any, any aphorisms or, or proverbs that, that come to mind, Peter? Time to requalify. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm now thinking of uh, Wittgenstein's because I'm looking actually at the Reed's website. <laughs> <laughs> It says, uh, whereof one cannot speak, thereof one must be silent. Nice. Ah, mm. that's a good, yeah. <laughs> we, well, no, we can't, we can't do that because then we'd have to stop the podcast. Yeah, we'd that have to be... stop speaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I take it more loosely than he does, I guess. But <laughs> It's, yeah, I guess, yeah. uh, coming back again to the conformity that uh, there's much not known. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. But yeah comforting idea mm. i know that i know nothing that was um, another good idea to come back that was socrates, socrates? cool yeah that was i don't know that was probably gonna be my thing i don't know i don't know no i don't know that um i necessarily have um anything to say which was kind of gonna be my thing um with Speaking socrates <laughs> um but no i, I think um, I think actually probably this is best expressed by um, this meme actually that Adam put up the other day which was like a sun coming up and a person lying in bed going like again at the sun as in a new day has started and the sun going like yes again you know and it's that like sort of no matter you know how things go um, you know as long as you're still here, you kind of just have to figure a way out to carry on. Um, and nice. and so and so, you know, regardless of what you think, uh, you you have to take it with you through your days. And um, and so for for me, the way uh, what, what I think that applies broadly is that like, you know, essentially whatever works for you, you know, <laughs> just run with that. <laughs> whatever whatever works for you, um, if if coping mechanism or not. Um, but for me is, yeah, I don't know, to try and um, get a sense of significance from processes rather than their conclusions. I think that's um, something that helps me because, um, yeah, con conclusions and objectives feel very existential and difficult to bear. And they often um, uh, throw me into the like deep <laughs> recesses yeah. of philosophy so I try to actually after a lot of philosophical thinking try and think very small about what's yeah. in front of me and 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 how how that is of importance and how going through the processes that I do creates uh, a meaningfulness in my life and those around me um, 
you know, all the while trying to integrate these bigger questions and concepts, but that um, as much as philosophy is daunting and can be and can also be very rewarding, um, my advice then would be to, you know, also find a way to think both abstractedly, both existentially and about these broad questions, but also very, very small because meaning lies there as well as in these very broad questions, you know. Um, and ironically, that might be a great place to conclude, having disavowed conclusions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Any, any final thoughts, guys, before we move on to the, onto the plugs? Thanks so much for coming on. No, it was good. I think uh, we satisfactorily ended in confusion. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the guarantee of this show. We come in knowing very little, but we leave knowing less. <laughs> so... Well, um, yeah, well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, at this point in, in the show, we usually uh, do, do plugs for anything we might have going on. And um, I maybe want to preempt you in, in plugging The Reads, your online magazine, and of course your podcast. Um, where, where can this be found? Everywhere <laughs> that podcasts are found? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Everywhere that podcasts can be found. And then uh, the-reads.com. Perhaps we should also say, yeah, that's not EA, but EE. Yeah, reads as in the plant. And I asked you this on your podcast, but perhaps you can explain to the listeners where that name came from. Peter? Yeah, That is actually also quite sad in a sense where the name comes from. Because it comes from this quote, a quote by... Pascal, and it says, uh, man is only a reed, the weakest in nature, but he is a thinking reed. There's no need for the whole universe to take up arms to crush him. A vapor, a drop of water is enough to kill him. But even if the universe were to crush him, man would still be nobler than his slayer because he knows that he is dying and the advantage of the universe has over him. The universe knows none of this. Well, so, philosophy. That's, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so if you're looking for a light-hearted <laughs> podcast to carry you through your days, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> we're we're a little darker. Yeah. No, it's uh, it is a genuinely a wonderful podcast. Um, I was I, we were talking before the show one I particularly enjoyed on a debate about whether cats or dogs were superior, um, and 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 the movie Wally. I particularly enjoyed that that episode that you did about the philosophy of the movie Wally. Uh, um, thank you. Anything else you want to plug, guys? No. Oh, yeah, I, I, the episode that you guys did with us uh, on the Reads podcast oh, yeah. on Marcus Aurelius. That <laughs> Check that out. Uh, Peter? I mean, uh, I hear again that the movie Wally, that, that is so far our trademark, it seems, Damon. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, dedicate a whole series to the Wally movie. Wally. Yeah, yeah, it's we a great said. movie. We said. Um, the the only other thing I'd I'd like to plug is uh, an album called the Blumenfeld Gambit sixty four squares volume one that came out on Tuesday. Um, it's on Spotify and on uh, next week que les trois the Swiss radio station. Um, nice. Nick did it if if that wasn't clear from context. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I released the I released an EP under Kamau and the Wolf K A M A U and the Wolf and you can find just type Kamau and the Wolf into Google, I guess, and you'll find us. Um, Blumenfeld Gambit, after the, the, the chess strategy that I don't have the time to tell you about now. But um, <laughs> but you definitely understand, right? But I definitely understand. <laughs> uh, and um, 
And yeah, so palette cleansers. Yes. Do, do, do you guys, did you guys manage to have fun facts? Yeah. I have a fact for the fake Swiss people because it seems okay. none of you is truly Swiss, right? Well, I'm a Swiss citizen. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, oh, but not by birth. I was became yeah, Swiss well, when I was twenty. Well, stand aside, Adam. This, this bullet <laughs> is meant for you, then. <laughs> okay, okay. No, no, no. But they're so, not really Swiss. Not really, no. <laughs> okay. So today, apparently, on this day, April the ninth, is an important day for the history of Switzerland. I saw for uh, uh, at thirteen eighty-eight, uh, the Swiss uh, overcame the Habsburgian overlords. And kind of uh, got their first independence. Oh. So, otherwise, you will be now just some uh, boring Austrians. <laughs> <laughs> a nice day. It's a nice day. It's a nice Thank day. God for that. Reveling in it. <laughs> Thank goodness. Cast the Habsburgs yeah. aside. It's a good day to be fake Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, well, I'll, I'll 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 go next. I have a very short one. Um, before the uh, for the podcast, Nick and I were talking about Scotland, and so I looked up some facts about Scotland, and it is apparently home to the oldest tree in Europe, the twisted yew. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're hmm? doing tree facts. Yeah. You're doing a tree facts. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I took a tree fact. I Sorry. That was I, did, I did. I did. I did. It's okay. <laughs> Just carry on. Anyway, it's more than 3,000 years old, and it's in wow. Scotland. Go and visit it. That's sick, man. Who knew trees were so interesting? <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is my turn. Yeah, go for I, it. Gives Nick I just realized one. my fact is a bad choice because this is not live, so they aren't listening on this day. But uh, <laughs> today, today is the anniversary of uh, Francis Bacon's death. So rest in peace, Francis Bacon, rest philosopher. Thought it was appropriate. Uh, I guess it's not the anniversary when whoever's listening is listening, <laughs> but. Uh, you should still take a moment. If you listen April 9th <laughs> next year, then it will indeed yeah, be his anniversary again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and finally, my fun fact is that any moment now. Um, <laughs> you, no, my fun fact, apparently, I don't know if this is true because this seems rather unbelievable. But it, it's, <laughs> so it's not a fact, it's a hunch. <laughs> That's okay, it's fun. <laughs> my hunch is that your nose, your nose is always in view. Technically, uh -huh. your yeah. nose always exists in your uh, sight, but your brain has learned to block it out. But technically, your eyes can see your nose at all times. We're all just um, going cross-eyed now, trying to see our yeah, nose. So, <laughs> so that's what I wanted to leave. I wanted, I wanted you to try and like reason that out from pure experience. Yeah. Is there a way, if you look far up, high up enough, that you actually can't see your nose? I think I can see my nose wherever I look. It's um, it's always in your eyes, but our brain has learned to block it out. Otherwise, it would be a real pain in the ass. <laughs> so yeah, so just no, be aware, be be aware of that wow. that nose of yours. That's a fun fact. bottom of your eyeline. Wow. Well, with that stark warning, um, <laughs> dear listener, um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you, uh, Damon and Damon. I always say Damon. I don't know why. It's, it's okay. Damon. It sounds cool. <laughs> Damon and Peter for coming on the show. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Nick, for the studio space. Oh, yes. Thank you, Nick. Um, and, and just, you know, generally, thanks. Uh, and with, with love and rage, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs>